Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, we tackle indexed universal life insurance one more time. This will probably be Joe's final word on the topic, unless, of course, you ask him another question about it, but then you're just doing it to get him riled up. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Also, on the topic of life insurance, you may have heard that millionaires buy term and invest the rest to pay estate taxes, but is that a good idea? And when you have a bunch of appreciated stock in your portfolio from the company you work for, how much should you sell and when, and how do you deal with the taxes? Plus, can you convert an inherited 401k to a Roth? And when is your required beginning date for required minimum distributions? I'm producer Andy Last. Before we get to all those questions, let's see how the fellas do with 403b withdrawal rules. Here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We got Mark... He wrote in from Colorado, Joe, Big Al, and Andy. Awesome show and great content. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's see how you do it this way. And uh, playful. Jocularity. Jocularity. Yeah. Oh, you should have let him go on that one, Al. <laughs> I was going to help him. All right, jocularity. But, I, but what does that mean? That means it's joyveal. Joyville? Joy- Joy- <laughs> I don't know. Is that a new word? What the hell is jo- what's jocularity? Like it, happy. It, means, it means in jest or in joke. Oh. Jeez, thank you, encyclopedia. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I looked it up. I was going to say. <laughs> yes. I just looked it up, and it's like, wow, he's really right on. <laughs> See, Elwood studies these questions. I, I nailed it. Yeah, they, this gets hot off the press, and then I, I read it. I was just waiting for you to say jocularity. Jocularity. All right. I have a rule. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a rule of 55 question. All right. I'm currently 53 and won't turn 55 until June 2021. I have a 403B at work worth $130,000. I also have a traditional IRA worth four hundred k. I can transfer into the 403B. All right. I have checked with the plan administrator and they will do this. I understand if I leave my work in the year I turn 55, January 2021, I'll be a- I'm able to access these funds without a penalty. I understand I will stay, have to pay ordinary income tax on the distributions. Please confirm and also provide any other uh, potential glitches. I'm thinking about leaving my job before the year I turn 55, move to Utah to be closer to my elderly mother. At that point, I will get another job and transfer my 403B into the new company's retirement plan. Do I follow the same rules as above, or do I have to wait a certain amount of time to be able to have access to money penalty-free, assuming I leave that job? Other potential useful information. Married, I have a military pension, 4K a month, uh, and health care provided. Thank you very much, Mark, for your services. Um, I have 250k in a brokerage account and 750000 in a Roth. He's a YMYW faithful. Yes, that's Has to fantastic. Be. I still want to work, but not the nine-to-five grind. I'm looking to be semi-retired and do work I find enjoyable. The ability to access the money, 3K a month at 55 is the bridge to get me there. Please let me know your thoughts. FYI, Joe is spot on about universal life insurance. For the most part, it's a scam. Look at that. Wow. Mark from Colorado. Supporting you all different directions. Yes, because it's... Jocularity. And, and he taught you a new word. Jocu- I'm going to use that this weekend. I think you should. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Are you Are feeling you? jocular? <laughs> Can I buy you a drink? Are you feeling jocularity? <laughs> you have to use it properly. <laughs> yeah. You can use it any way you want. I don't care. 
Oh boy. Okay, so we got we got some some stuff, stuff to unravel here. Yeah. All right. Let's. Good, good question, by the way, Mark. Okay, Al, you got a you got a cal- I got a calculator too, but you got a pen here. So let's kind of add this stuff up. He's okay. got a four hundred three B at work. It's one hundred thirty thousand dollars. He's got four hundred thousand dollars in an IRA, so that's five thirty. Yep. That's in a retirement account. He's got two fifty non qual and seven fifty in a Roth. Did I miss anything? Nope. Okay. Nope, got He's it. got four thousand dollars a month coming in, and health care is provided. He needs thirty six thousand dollars to bridge the gap. Right. All right. So he's fifty three. He's not going to turn fifty five until twenty twenty one. So what he's thinking or what he wants to do is basically say, you know what? I got this IRA. I'm going to put the IRA into my four hundred three b account. And then if I put the money in my 403B, then at 55, I'm going to take distributions from the 403B because I separate service from my employer at 55. I can get penalty-free distributions at 55. So I'm going to take the $3,000 a month from the 403B, but then he's going to move to Utah. And then in Utah, he's going to get another job of something that he wants to do, get rid of the 9-to-5 grind. Then he wants to roll the 403B into the 401k plan and still potentially take dollars out of that plan penalty-free. That's the gist. Yeah, that's the gist. And he he wants to go to Utah before 55, so it makes it a little trickier. Yes. Don't you actually have to be working the job to be able to take that money out? Yeah, you have to separate from service from the employer at age 55 to have access to those dollars penalty-free. So even though he accessed them at 55, he goes to another job, moves it to another 401k, Before and now 55. he's 56? Yeah. He's, no, he's done. He blew it up. Right? So, Yeah, so a lot of people think you can retire at 54 and then wait till you're 55, but that doesn't work. You have to separate from service at 55 to be able to get this penalty-free. And, of course, you have to pay income tax. We're just talking about avoiding the 10% penalty on early withdrawal. So if he leaves this job before 55, all bets are off. Yeah, but the problem is it's a 403B plan, too. Yeah, I think you'd A 403B have... plan is a non-qualified plan. It's not under Section 401K. So it depends on the 403B plan that he's actually contributing to to see if it has the 55 so, so he would tax-free withdrawal. He'd have to work for a similar type governmental agency that had a 403B, I think, to be able to do that that would allow the... Um, the, the no, if he the moved that money in... I don't know. Um, I would have to look at the plan. I, I don't know where where Mark works, um, because four hundred three b plans and four hundred one k plans are very very similar for the most part. Sure, but four hundred three b is not under ERISA. In I mean, some plans are, but for the majority of them, they're not. But couldn't you? So so let's say he retires at fifty four, and he's got the money in the four hundred three b, and he gets another job that has a four hundred three b. Couldn't he roll from plan one to plan two? Yeah. So then he would be... 50. And then retire at 55? Yeah. But still, it, I would much rather... I'm certain if it's 401k. Yes. What is making me pause is it's a 403b. That, that there might be slightly different rules. There could be a slightly different rule within the 403b from the 55 exemption to take the money out without the 10% penalty. Because all 403bs are not necessarily created equal. Sure. So for the most part, I mean, in generalities, you could say yes, but Mark, I would want to take a deeper dive into that. So he needs to bridge the gap is what he's trying to do from 55 basically to 65, maybe 10-year time period. But he needs $36,000 a year. I mean, why don't you punch? That's your bridge, 3000 because he's got a military pension of 4000 Sure. He needs another three. He wants to live in Utah, take care of mom. Um 
do it because he's got the assets, I believe, to be able to to do all the things that he wants to do. He has access to the Roth. I don't know if it, it would be wise to touch it because well, there's FIFO tax treatment. He can always get the principal out if he wanted to. Sure. He's got non-qualified funds. It, if he goes to work and makes $3,000 a year, I mean $3,000 a month, maybe he gets a job making $1,500 a month at like Home Depot. Yeah. So, yeah, looking at this example, he has $250,000 in a brokerage account, which would be a non-retirement account. And that's easy to use that money. Very, very simple. So you don't even have to go through all this gyration. However, I would say this, just, just to answer your question specifically, and I agree with Joe, 401ks I, are a lot more common, a lot more easy. So I'll, I'll say in the 401k world, if you were would, to leave a job at 54 with a 401k, get another job that had a 401k, you could roll your old one into the new one, and then you could retire at 55, and there is no age limit, as far a, a time limit, as far as I can tell. However, I will say this. If you did it like a day before 55, it might look suspicious, and the IRS could do the, the, the step doctrine rule, Yeah, potentially. just You have to separate from service at age 55 from that employer to be able to have access to the 401k or the retirement dollars for, without for, penalty. For that, however, if like let's say let's say he did at age 50, and then he got another job, and right now we're talking 401ks, and that had a 401k, he can roll the old 401k to the new 401k, work five more years, yep. separate from service, yep. and it's just fine. Yep. He, you could even take your IRA dollars yep. and roll them into the 401k. Yeah, that yeah, that it, works just fine. And that's what he was stating in the beginning. He's like, hey, I got about $400,000 in my IRA, and then I want to roll my 403b, and then I'm going to retire at 55 and take the money out. But where Mark is messed up is that he's going to retire. He's 53. He does he, I won't turn 55 until June of 2021, right? So he's thinking, all right. Um, he might leave prior to that age 55. He has to leave and separate from service at age 55. It's not like I'm going to retire at 54, and then at age 55 I have access to the money. I know, but if he rolls into a new plan and he And, he and then from, retires. That's what I'm saying. Sure. That's what he's talking about, and that works. All right. So. I think it even works in the 403B world, but that's where you'd have to check your plan. Yeah. I just want to put that caveat that, out there. Yeah. A CYA, it's called, Alan. Okay. The caveat? Yeah, I want to cover my own behind. CYA? Got yes. It. Got it. Yes. Um, okay. You were thinking of the special offer is a C. <laughs> that's a CTA. Oh, yeah. That I, is a call to action. I get this confused all the time. <laughs> uh, so, first of all, Mark, congratulations. I think uh, you're, you're on the right track. I like what you're doing. I think you might be just laser focused on, hey, let me get money out of my retirement account prior to 59 and a half, but you do have other assets. I would say if you retire, you have the pension you have a shortfall, you have non-qualified assets that you could potentially live off of, right? You have some Roth assets, 750, you know, that you could take a little bit from. I, I wouldn't want to take huge distributions. But you could also then convert the rest of the four yeah. or $500,000 into the Roth over the next several years, turn your Social Security on, right? And I, I mean, I, I think the planning is flawed a little bit. I would just want to have a bigger, broader look at so he might, uh, of he what, might, he's, what he might he's thinking. Be, he might be thinking I'm going to be in a lower bracket when I stop working, so I can pull money out of the IRA 401k in a lower bracket. Well, once you use your non-qualified, non-retirement money, and your income then will be really low, and then do a Roth conversion. That's actually going to work out better for you anyway. So, All right, Mark, hopefully that helps. And, um, hey, thanks for the universal life insurance support. I believe it is, in most part, a scam. All right, we got we got another one here. Okay. 
Dan from Florida. I will turn 59 this month, and I'm retiring in December. I have around $1.7 million in a 401k, $30,000 in a Roth, $20,000 in savings. My wife and I owe, uh, and I owe about $85,000 at 3% on a home in Florida worth around $500K and no other debt. We plan on staying in our home for at least another 10 years. There is about 750000 in company stock in the 401k with a cost basis of 46000 How much of that stock would I be thinking about doing NUA with and why? I have thought about doing all of it, but if I had to sell it due to trouble with the company, that's a lot of tax owed. Oh, I believe I will be able to stay in the 12% bracket in retirement. I also want to do a Roth conversion every year while I'm trying to stay in the 12% tax bracket and the 0% long-term capital gain bracket. My thought right now is an NUA around half and convert the rest to an IRA. Obviously, I would do this in the year 2020 when I have no earned income. Also, Al, when do I have to start doing quarterlies, uh, quarterly taxes? Do I need to have them done by January 15th of 2020? Thanks for putting on such a great show. I listen and watch on YouTube all the time. Sweet. Damn, the man. You know, I went to the University of Florida, Dan. Go Gators. LSU. Big matchup. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Let's first talk about NUA. That's That stands for uh, Net Unrealized Appreciation. That's a strategy whereby... Once you leave your job, and if you're at least 55 years of age, you can take your company stock and you can move it to your non-retirement account, trust account, non-qualified account, whatever you want to call it, and you end up paying ordinary income taxes on your cost basis. And the cost basis here is 46000 right? That's pretty low. And it's worth seven hundred and fifty grand. Seven fifty. So Dan, um, do it all. I would do 100%. 100%. Because so when you sell the stock, yes, you will pay capital gains tax. But let, think of it this way. If the stock if the stock has trouble, you're going to sell it all, whether it's in the non-retirement account or the retirement account. At least in the non-retirement account, you pay capital gains tax. In the retirement account, you will pay ordinary taxes when you take that money out. And by the way, not only that, you'll pay ordinary income taxes on the future growth of those assets that get invested after the stock is sold. So you're much better off. Plus, you have very little tax diversification, right? So this, right off the bat, would give you a whole bunch of non-retirement assets. It would make your retirement much more tax efficient. Right. Now you got a million bucks in your retirement account. you got 700000 outside of your retirement account, right? Now you got a little bit more balance. So, it, yeah. And then, of course, you want to do Roth IRA conversions as well, because now you have dollars to live off of. Because you have non-retirement dollars that you can spend down and still stay in those low brackets yeah, and, and as you convert. And you're going to start doing that after you retire, right? So this is a perfect strategy for you to do it all. If you want to do the $46,000 in January, the NUA in January of next year, that's fine because you're not going to have any other ordinary income. No, I would do it this year. 46000 is nothing. Depends on his Here's other salary, though. Bull loony. <laughs> I don't give a rap. <laughs> Dan, listen to me. Al is getting old. <laughs> to the NUA December 1st, for sure. Add the $46,000, put the seven fifty dollars in your brokerage account, then sell the stock next year at a 0% rate. He can go to $70,000. But what if he's what if he's in a 30, 
two percent bracket this year, and he'll be in a twelve percent bracket next year. That forty six thousand will be taxed at a lot lower rate by waiting. But it's a only forty six grand, and the NUA is seven fifty. I know, but waiting a month, who cares? Well, the <laughs> do it this year. <laughs> I say do it next year. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Just do it. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, but he... how much of a difference are we talking about here? If he does it next year versus this year, a couple thousand year. bucks. Okay. But the market could tank. Good. Right? It's election. Oh, January, dude. It's Dude. They're going to be like, oh, my God. <laughs> right? And then so now his stock that was worth 750 just dropped to 300 grand. True. So get it out. Get it out. Then right away in January, you start selling so, that thing off. So if you recall what I said, I said if he would like to wait till January. He can. Oh, okay. I probably would do it in December, too, just because there's that market risk. I'd rather get it out. If I needed to sell it, I could do it quickly, and it would already be out. Right, right, right. So I think we agree there, Alan. Yeah. So as far as when you make the estimated payments, so here's the way it works is that when you um, say 2020, you won't have any other income. So you're going to have to base your estimated payments or withholding if you're putting pulling money out of retirement accounts but estimated payments are probably will be what you do and you got to pay those quarterly april 15th is the first one then june 15th then september 15th then january 15th of the following year that's when you make the estimated payments and i know that doesn't sound like the right right dates quarterly but those are the dates just trust me on that and the way that you do it is each quarter you can take a look at how much your income is to that point, and then you do what's called annualized. So the first payment's due April 15th. You look at what you made through March, three months, and then you multiply that by four to get to a 12-month annualization. Then you look at the tax rate and figure out what the tax is. Then you divide that by four, and you figure out what your t- tax do. You like that? <laughs> what's this? Take, take notes, Joe. <laughs> my God. <laughs> Smartest guy I've ever met in my life. I thought you said I was getting old. Uh, you are sexy as hell, though. 61 years old. Coming from you, I'm not sure that's a compliment. But <laughs> I guess I'll take it. <laughs> you're, you're, never mind. If you have a concentrated stock position like Dan does, depending on what kind of account it's in, there are a number of ways you can deal with the taxes that you'll pay when it comes time to sell some of that stock to rebalance your portfolio. Our own Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, has done a video on this topic, and I've posted it in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go straight there. And speaking of taxes, as we count down to the end of the year, there are a number of tax-saving strategies that are only available before December 31st, so I've included the link to the 2019 tax planning guide in the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com as well. While you're there, click Ask Joe and Al on air to send in your money questions, compliments, complaints, or stories, and Joe and Big Al will answer right here on YMYW. All right, let's go to Brooke uh, from San Diego. Brooke uh, writes in, Joe and Al, I know you don't like IULs. Oh boy, here we go. Another IULs. Boy, we're, we're, we Index like Universal Life Insurance. Yeah, okay. All right, but Brooke has read two books uh, then that both lay out compelling arguments. Okay, one advantage of IULs is protection. If the market goes down during your retirement, your cash flow won't be impacted whatsoever. What do you say to that? Okay, the books are What Would Rockefellers Do by Garrett Gunderson and Everyone Finishes Poor by Curtis Ray. Thanks 
for your patience with. I don't, I don't want to give these yahoos some plugs. You already did. I know I did. I should read these email <laughs> questions before we go. Before. <laughs> um, anyway, well, so and it's, it's Rockefellers, not Rockefellers. Uh, no, I know what Rockefellers <laughs> are. Those fellers. I thought that was, a, with the rocks. that was a new way to pronounce it. I yeah. kind of liked it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, okay. I, so that's pretty direct. What do you say? What about do that? You, yes? What do you I know say, these Joe? People are just very direct with us. Right. What? Okay. There's multiple of investments that you can go into that will give you protection against the market. CDs, for one. Okay. Right. So the the ploy of this index universal life insurance contract is stating that, all right, well, here, you can invest in market-like returns with no downside risk, right? What do I say about that? I think that would be awesome if, if you could true. actually get it, <laughs> Brooke. Absolutely. If you could get stock market returns with no downside risk, who that who wouldn't do that? Right. Sign me up. I want a $10 billion policy. <laughs> you know, I'm going to call Garrett Gunderson right now and ask him, Give me, give me give the me underwriting right yeah. now. Right. It doesn't work that way. There are participation rules. There's caps. There's all sorts of... You're not even invested in the market. It's a zero coupon bond that they're buying call options on. You're not getting dividends. So it's looking at, all right, what am I truly getting out of this product? It is sold that it is protected. Yes, I agree with that 100%. But yes. is that truly a pro? Yeah, so well, it is a it is a benefit. You're not going to lose your money, but you're saying it's not the best way to do that. Well, okay, so Brooke, I, I would like to know how old Brooke is. Because if Brooke is young and trying to accumulate wealth, why would she want that type of protection anyway? If you're already in retirement and you want to buy a life insurance contract, the cost of insurance is going to be prohibited. She's 52. Remember, she asked a question of us before. Well, well, so we have that she's 52 and she's already maxed out her 401k. At, that is all Andy. we know she's, about her. Yeah, she's she's like, she remembers she's a little stuff. creepy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> she's like all I, over this. I, I keep the this. podcast an encyclopedic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we're not, never going to get another email. Oh, my God. Andy's going to look me up. Yeah, she's yes. going to know where I live. I, I live in University City <laughs> yeah. in San Diego. Uh, so right. 52. Okay. So you're already maxing out your 401k. I get the lure of it, right? It's like. I can save money into this program that, you know, this IUL, this bank on yourself, this pension, your own pension plan. Yeah, there's it's no. So good. Th- yeah, private pension. Private pension. Put, put what you want to in. Yes. You know, there's no income limitations. Look at the Roth. Roth sucks. Yeah. Do that because if you make too much money, you can't put money into it. And look at this. We got this illustration that shows all this tax free income. Right. Oh, all you got to do is place the money in and it grows tax deferred. You pull it out tax free. That's how it's sold. You have to look at the inner workings of the overall contract. What is the true cost of insurance that you're purchasing, right? You got to be careful of MEC rules. You have to keep the policy in force for life to get the tax free benefits of the income. So, what does that mean? There still needs to be cash in the policy when you die. So you're not utilizing all of the money. So you got to put that into account unless you want to die with a life insurance. I mean, mean, do you need life insurance? Do you want to die? Do you have a permanent need for life insurance? That is totally separate. Didn't we go through this? We've gone through it many times. I said if you need life insurance, if you want to die with a life insurance contract, 
you're yes, buy the stupid thing, right? So, but, what can she do that's going to give you her eight percent return? If you want an accumulation, and it'll plan, never go down. It, it's not getting anywhere. Is there near anything eight. that'll do that? Nothing in this world will give you that, right? So I like protection. It's but how it's sold? It's like okay, well you can get stock market returns with no downside risk. Okay, well yes, that sounds good. But you look at what is how much are you participating in the overall market, right? Because it's going to go from one point to another point. Here's the S&P 500 is at X. And then they're going to look at the S&P 500 a year later, six months, two years later, whatever the point to point is. And then they're going to do some math. Is your participation 100%? Is there caps? Do you get capped out? Maybe the S&P did, you know, you, you, if it does more than 2% per month, you get capped out and you can only do 1%. I, I don't know. There's so many iterations of this product that makes it very, very confusing for the average investor. First of all, life insurance should never be used as an investment. God. Okay, well, she does say thanks for your patience with this subject. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't pan out very well. That were, I, Brooke, I love you. Keep, keep writing in. Right? You listen to me. This is what happens. They call in or they write in and then they ask us the question and then they're like, they don't like the answer I give. So you, you, so what does she do? She goes and reads two books of insurance salespeople that sell this crap and then it's like, okay, well, let me call them back yeah, and say, so, hey. So, so my, my response is look and see who's writing these books and you'll know how it's slanted. Totally. Brooke, I'm, I'm telling you, if you want to do it, do it. But um, I don't know. That's... I'm not here to give you advice. I'm just here to, I guess, rant and rave. It's just your opinion. <laughs> yes, yes, it's just my opinion. Contrary to Curtis and Garrett. <laughs> yes, I'm going to look those <laughs> yeah, Those guys are gows. We do very much enjoy uh, you guys writing us. Like Marcus from Tennessee slash Alabama. You remember Marcus? I do remember Marcus. Your favorites. I don't know what that means, though. That's what he's saying. Roth and insurance questions. Your favorites. That's what he's got for you here. Oh. Just keep reading, Joe. God, oh, that was the <laughs> title of the, the damn email. Yes. Yeah. Your favorites. Roth and insurance questions. All okay. Right. Sorry, Good. Marcus. I was, um, it takes me a while. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the valuable but funny financial information you provide. This is Marcus from Tennessee, Alabama. So which is it? It's both. It's like he splits is, his time. Is it contiguous? It is contiguous. <laughs> uh, all right. So Marcus, he's got a couple of questions here. Okay. All right. First, uh, oh boy, I would like to apologize because I believe my question about using an IUL for college funding started this IUL avalanche. Actually, I take back my apology because the IUL segments have been the most hilarious things ever on your money or wealth. With that said, I have another insurance question coming. All right, let's keep them rolling, folks. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. I was recently told that millionaires continue to use life insurance as a way to pass down tax-free money. Here's the scenario. Buy a term policy and invest the rest, but after the term policy, you renew and use your investments to pay the, in my opinion, now extremely high premiums. My thoughts on this is that you are now unplugging your investments to pay anywhere from ten to $20,000 a year in premiums just to pass down X amount of money tax-free. 
if you die within 10 years of renewal, you may win. Have you heard of this? What are your thoughts? Okay, couple of comments here. Mark is from Tennessee, Alabama. Yeah, and thanks for your patience, Joe. <laughs> what do you got for us? Oh, God. Okay, so, you know, with, with, with Brooke's question, just before Marcus's, right, Andy, I, and Al, we did a little investigation. Right. Kind of looked up some of these... Um, these gurus. These that, gurus yeah, that really like IU Wells. That wrote some books. Right. You know, in the Rockefellers. Yeah. You know, the Vanderbilts. Yep. What do you, what do you think Bill Gates? He invested in IUL. Don't you know that? Uh, right. And these individuals that are writing this stuff, it's like, all right, here, I, w- I discovered financial planning three years ago. That was one of them. <laughs> when I went bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then so I needed to do something to make money because I lost everything. So guess what I'm doing? I am selling fat ass commissioned <laughs> IUL policies. That is making me a millionaire. Well, I didn't say that, but we can infer it. And the other one basically had all this advice, and then the bottom disclosure: I'm not I, an investment advisor. Yeah, this not is listen. not. A, this is not advice. Please do not do any of this. <laughs> do not listen to a word I'm saying. <laughs> uh, all right. So back to Marcus, Tennessee, Alabama. Um, Yes, if you like, I've said a million times. If you want to leave a legacy, so the planning would look like this: you take a look and say, "All right, I'm retiring at age 65. I want to spend X amount of dollars for the rest of my life, and you're going to have plenty of money left over, right?" And you're like, "Okay, well, maybe I want to leverage that money. Maybe I want to make sure that." It, it goes guaranteed tax-free to someone. Maybe I have an estate plan. Maybe I have a special needs child. Maybe I have XYZ, whatever. Yes, life insurance is a huge leverage tool if you use it for a death benefit, right? Sure. You agree with that? I agree with that. I think in the tax code, it's one of the best benefits in the tax code. It's 100% tax-free at your death. So you buy a $5 million policy, and over your life, you might put a $2 million into it, and it grew to $5 million tax-free, guaranteed to your heirs. That's leverage, right? Then you look at the internal rate of return of the policy at death. So if you died with one premium going in, your rate of return, let's say you put one premium of fifty grand in, and you die the next day, and then your heirs get $5 million, Pretty good rate of return. Yeah, but you lost because you died. You're dead. You're dead. Yeah. Marcus, you're dead. And if you live a long, long, long life, it's a terrible rate of return. Right, because then all of a sudden that cash value now almost equals the same amount as the death benefit. Because that $2 million of premiums, maybe it's worth $10 million by the time you, or could have been. Could have been the, if you the invested time you it. Away. Right. And by the time it goes to the heirs, it's tax-free anyway because they get a step-up in basis. But then there's estate taxes, and that's what changes all this. Right. So then you look at how big of your estate are you. Do so so when you said millionaires, well, they got to be about 20 millionaires. Yeah, so for a couple. For single, right, it's about 11 million. A couple of 22 million. So if you have $11 million or more, then people are doing this to help pay estate taxes. Yeah, and, and just so you understand how this works, if, if you've got $11 million, let's say you've got $15 million and you're single, so that means some of your estate's going to be subject to estate tax. If it's all invested in cash and stocks and bonds, 
you don't really need insurance because you got cash. Your, your heirs will have cash stocks and bonds to pay the taxes. But here's the problem: is in a lot of cases, it's tied up in real estate, or it's tied up in your business, or it's tied up in your farm. And these are difficult assets, maybe to sell within a nine-month period, which is when the taxes due. So people get these permanent policies for life insurance because they know that the estate tax is going to be two million dollars or whatever it is. They get two million dollars of life insurance, so so the estate has that upon their their passing, right? And so now the the heirs don't have to sell the farm or the business or the real estate. Yeah, and the the, the insurance contract is actually outside of their taxable estate with a irrevocable trust. Well, yeah, irrevocable life insurance trust, and and so you have to set that up properly. We've seen that set up improperly many times. Yes. So am I a fan of this? Yes. Does term insurance work for this? No, absolutely not, because Marcus, you're right on point. If you want to pass a legacy using tax-free life insurance benefits, you cannot use a term policy. Unless, right, because you're healthy, you get a term policy 10, 20 years, you live past the 20 years, you try to renew the policy, you could a, now have a, a, a condition where the premiums will be too expensive, or maybe you're still in preferred health, now you're 20 years older, the premiums are going to be, like you said, a lot more expensive. So then it, it doesn't, the, the numbers don't make sense. Term insurance should be used to cover a, an, an income need, a short term, right? I have a mortgage. I got income. My wife doesn't work. I got a couple of kids. If I die, the, the, the family would be devastated. So I need to make sure that I cover that need. So you could do it with a life insurance contract of term or permanent. I think term is a better way to go because hopefully in the next 30 years, my mortgage is paid off, right? We've saved some money, right? The kids are out of the house. See, like I'm painting my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm single, by the way, and I don't have kids or have never been married. And you haven't saved a penny. Yeah, I know, and I'm flat broke, and I got a Range Rover. <laughs> well, I will, I will vouch you're not flat broke. I do know that. Uh, so, right, that's kind of the, you know... But then you get the yahoos. Andy, you know, why don't you put more money into this life insurance contract that grows tax deferred? And you can, you know, that's where it kind of bugs me. Life insurance is a phenomenal tool. It has saved so many hundreds of thousands of families from complete financial despair. Yeah, and, and so to go back, permanent policies, which Marcus is talking about, do have their place. We tend to see those more commonly in, in pretty wealthy families that have an estate tax, tax problem. I've also seen it in one case where the parents just wanted to leave a legacy. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you're just looking at a rate of return. Do, do we think that we're going to live long enough that this was a bad investment? Because that's what you're right, right? Or, or do you think we, we have? You're just impaired, trying to leverage, right? We, we have we have impaired life expectancy, but somehow a couple years earlier we were able to get this policy. So now the kids are going to make out better, and so that's it's it's kind of it's nothing more than an investment, really. You look at the investment rate of return. If you do it properly, it's it's a state tax free, right? State tax free, tax free, federal tax, state tax, everything. All right, so we got next on the list. Yeah. So Marcus found out that one cannot convert an inherited IRA into your Roth IRA. How does that work with an inherited 401k? If I wanted to have the ability to convert an inherited non-spouse retirement account into a Roth, is that even possible? Now that I think about it, non-spousal Roths have RMDs. So it's my best option to have my mom slowly convert to Roth 
while I pay the taxes on the conversion, and then when she passes, convert to my taxable account. Marcus, what the hell are you doing, yeah, you, dude? You've made a couple of mistakes here <laughs> already. <laughs> this is a small account, less than 100000 As I type this, this sounds morbid. Yes, and as I read this, it sounds morbid. <laughs> But, but I, w- I want to know my options years, years, years later down the road. All right. I'm going to call your mom, Marcus. And say, you watch know, your back. You know what Marcus is doing? <laughs> you, know, you know what Marcus's financial plan is? If he comes to you and says, Mom, I think we should start converting. Now, I, I would say it this way. With There's there's several things here. I'll, I'll just start with mom. Right? So if mom has an IRA, and if mom is in a low tax bracket, and if you and your siblings are eventually going to inherit it, and you're in a higher tax bracket, then that that does make a certain amount of sense. But here's the fallacy in that, is you have to be 100% sure mom's not going to need that money. Because if mom needs the money, and she pulls it out, she'll probably need the money because long-term care or some medical need, which is tax-deductible anyway. So she could pull out that money tax-free, and you would have had her pay tax when she could have got it out tax-free anyway because it was used for medical. So if you're going to do that strategy, and that's a good strategy, by the way, as long as your mom or your parents for sure have plenty of money regardless of what happens. So um, to answer your first question, you cannot cannot convert an inherited IRA. You can convert an inherited 401k. So my advice with that 100000 Marcus, would be, Keep mom's 401k if you want it someday convert it, right? Um, you If you inherit the 401k, you can convert that into a Roth. If it's in an inherited IRA, you cannot convert it. Is there RMDs in the Roth? Yes, but it's still tax-free. So, and it's based on your life expectancy. Right, but I would say it this way. So, Marcus, if you have, like, let's say you inherit this 401k, yes, you can convert that to a Roth, but if you have your own IRA, you'd rather convert that first because your Roth, your Roth doesn't have an RMD, but the converted 401k inherited does have an RMD. Right. So, so make sure you, you convert in the right order. Yeah, you morbid. <laughs> we'll get start calling you morbid Marcus. <laughs> So. From Tennessee or Alabama. Yeah, or I don't both. Know. He's got multi-personalities. He's contiguous and morbid. Yes. All right, thanks, Morbid Marcus. Appreciate you writing into us. He goes, thanks again for all the information you provide, and thank you for the hilarious but true responses to IUL questions. I want Marcus from Morbid Marcus to leave us a voice recording. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right, Marcus, I, you're on. Well, I have yeah. kind of a thought of what it might sound like. I can't wait. Thank you, Brooke and Marcus, for winding Joe up and making this show so entertaining. YMYW definitely would not be what it is today if it weren't for listeners like you. Look for the share link in your podcast app or in the show notes. Use that button generously to spread YMYW's useful hilarity via email or across social media, and we will thank you for it. If you'd like to revisit all of our previous IUL and life insurance discussions, click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app. You'll find links to all of them in the show notes, transcripts, of this episode and previous ones and the link to Ask Joe and Al on air where you can send in your money questions, compliments, complaints, stories, all the rest of that via voice message like Joe just mentioned or via email. Like Dennis did, but it's pronounced Denny. Well, that's what that Denny short for Dennis. It's Denny. It's French. What? So the S is silent? How did he leave a message? No, I have a cousin named Denny. 
My father's name is Dennis. And how My is it middle spelled? name how is, is it Dennis. How is it spelled? D-E-N-I-S. Really? Yes. Wow. I want, it's now Des- Joe Denis. I think that's a good name for you. Oh, my God. Denis. So bad. We're going to find out. He goes, hi, Mr. Anderson. And he's talking to me, Al. Apparently. I don't have to ask oh, this. Oh, of, of course. It's Denis. I'll just go get a cup of coffee. I'll let you answer this one. <laughs> uh, thank you for the information you have sent me about IRA and RMD. And I've also been uh, to your courses. All right. Yeah, I don't remember a Denis at any of my courses, by the way. Okay. <laughs> but I want to be sure uh, not to make a mistake and get penalized uh, by the IRS. So in September of this year, uh, Denis turned 70, and he worked part-time every year. Okay? Okay, good. I have no retirement from my job. Uh, what I have is my Social Security income. I have my IRA, 401k in the bank. Uh, my question is, when I reach 70 and a half in March 2020, what will be the day or month that I have to do the taxes and what percentage should I withdraw so the IRS does not penalize me in my taxes? It's too early, but I want to be sure. Thank you for the information and support. All right. So he's talking about a required beginning date. So let's first define what a required beginning date is. So a dentist doesn't... <laughs> Just go back and forth. That way you're covered. Yes. Does not turn 70 and a half until next year, Alan. Yeah, until March of 2020. All right. So he's got a couple of options. He can avoid... He doesn't have to take any money out of 2020 if he doesn't want to. That's right, because the required beginning date is April 1st of the year following you turn 70 and a half. So the drop dead date is April 1st of 2021. Yes, I agree with that. But the calculation would be on December 31st, right, of 2019. Right. If he takes a distribution in 2020. All right, so there's two things he can do here. If he wants to take a required distribution in 2020, he can because he turns 70 and a half and he takes one out. You look at December 31st, you take out about 3.75% out of the account. If he does not want to take that, he can push it out to the following year, but then he has to take two distributions. Right. One for 2020, one for 2021. You got it. Yeah. So there's just a little bit more calculation involved there, but he doesn't necessarily have to create a taxable event in 2020 if he doesn't want to. Yeah, and here's the what you want to think about is sometimes when people are still working, or let's say... Let's, I'm going to call you Dennis. Let's say, Dennis, you're, you're working in 2020. And he's pissed. But not, <laughs> but not, I don't care. But not 2021. <laughs> Let's just say that. So then you might want to push that, that RMD to 2021 because you don't have the part-time income. On the other hand, if the part-time income is the same every year, you know, it, you've got to look at your tax brackets. Would it, would, it, would it hurt you to take two required minimum distributions in one year? And if that's the case, you might want to do one in 2020 and one in 2021. But I think how he's writing this is that he's pretty conservative. He's like, he, I mean, he's already thinking about, it. I don't want to get any penalties. Yeah, he's got his, his 401k in the bank, first right. of all. So investments are conservative. He's worried about an IRS penalty. Right. So, and then he's like, well, if I push it out, I don't want to make a mistake there. So I would t- tell... Um, Denis, 
that take take uh, take one out right next year. So just look at December thirty first balance of the overall account. Take roughly three point seven five percent out of the account. Okay, or four percent to make it easy. Yeah, if you got a hundred thousand dollars. Make sure you take out four thousand bucks. Yeah, that that's safer because then, then and, you know you get your covered. And you have until December thirty first to take the distribution out. Right, right. So it's no rush. It doesn't have to be done right on your seventy and a half birthday. It just has to be done in the calendar year. Yeah. Now, if you do take it out earlier, then you, all you have to do is calculate your tax bracket to figure out how much to withhold. So, for example, I, you, we don't know your income from this description, but let's say you're in the twelve percent bracket, federal bracket. So maybe you withhold twelve percent from the IRA distribution, and you got to look at your state bracket too. Maybe you're in a five percent bracket, so you withhold five. You just do that each and every time you take a required minimum distribution. Do that calculation to figure out how much to withhold. And in some cases, maybe you have some income that doesn't have any withholding, so you want to withhold a little bit more. Maybe you withhold 20% instead of 12% because you got some income that doesn't have any withholding. That's totally fine, too. But just do that at the time you do the distribution. Some people do the, the required minimum distribution once a year. Some do it periodically throughout the year because they need monthly. the income. Monthly, right. Yeah. So just every time you take a distribution, figure out what that your tax bracket is and withhold that much. And if you have other income that you need withholding, you may want to increase it. Uh, the biggest penalty I'm sure he's concerned about is that if you do not take your required distribution timely, there's a 50% tax penalty. Uh, so just be aware of that, Dennis or Denny. Um, so make sure that you do it right. Uh, you want to withhold. I mean, you want to take out enough out of the retirement account uh, because whatever. Um, so if you do not take the appropriate RMD or if you do not take the RMD, uh, there's a 50% tax penalty. Uh, five zero fifty percent. You heard it right. Uh, so make sure that you get this thing dialed in. By, by the way, I'll say one more thing, and that is if you don't have enough withholding, then the it's an interest charge. They call it a penalty, but it's an interest charge, and it's charged annually at 3%. So that's not a very big penalty. But to avoid penalties altogether, you just have withholding as you take distributions. All right. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thank you, Andy. Great job, Al. I'm Joe. We'll see you next week. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes where you can download all of our retirement resources, read podcast episode transcripts, subscribe to the podcast or to our YouTube channel, and send in your money questions. Thank you for being a part of the YMYW podcast and for bringing others into the fold. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to sign up for a no-cost, no-obligation, two-meeting assessment, either in-person or via web meeting with a certified financial planner from Pure. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. 